0: Hello, friend, and welcome back to the podcast. As always, this is your host, Brayden. And today we are back for me to do another rant on contractor compliance. Now, uh, I hope you're excited for this episode. Some of you might be over this topic. I don't know, but I've been getting a lot of feedback on this specific topic. Contractor, I should say, misclassification. So what we're talking about here is whether you can hire someone to be a contractor or whether they legally must be an employee. So a reminder that this is not a determination that you really get to make, meaning you don't get to decide that someone is a contractor or an employee, really. The law decides that and then you need to decide based on the law, how you should classify them who you should hire. Now, Caveat to that, or I guess tweak, is, is you you can, I guess, decide in a certain way to say, oh, well, I would like to do this, or I would like to have this person do this thing, but that would be an employee thing, so I'm only going to have them do this other thing. And that'll make sense as you learn more about the rules. Now, also full disclosure, I kind of struggled with what I wanted to talk about today. I, I noted down a few different topics uh usually we plan out our episodes like a few weeks in advance but recently i've been not doing that which honestly has been kind of nice because it it frees me up if i get an idea one week i can just you know release a new podcast episode on that but for productivity and systems reasons we'll get back to batching soon but meanwhile it's just kind of like what do i feel like what do i feel like talking about today on the podcast Now, um, I went back and I kind of perused some of my recent rants that I had on Instagram. And I thought I'd bring some of those back and then kind of segue that into a wrap up of our conversation that I had on the podcast a few weeks ago about the photographer who got audited by the EDD. Now, recently, I was chatting about this with uh, some students of mine and some other folks. And one person told me, and I'm quoting, but also... This is just based on my memory, so I'm sure this isn't word for word, but based on what I remember, and this person said, "My CPA told me that I could send my person, this person's contractor, at 10.99. So if I can send them a 10.99, they must be a contractor." End quote. And my response was probably some kind of look of confusion, right? Because I'm like, "Mm, "No, not how it works." I'm thinking, "Did you even ask your CPA if the person could be a contractor?" Uh, what did the CPA tell you? Because to me, it sounded more like the conversation went like, Hey, I already hired this contractor. What do I need to do now? Well, you need to 1099 them, right? So sending someone a 1099 doesn't mean that they can be a contractor. It just means that you already hired them as a contractor. They did the work as a contractor. And now you're legally required to send them a 1099 because you paid them as a contractor. If they legally weren't supposed to be a contractor, that's still a problem. But if you don't send them a 1099, that's also a problem, right? So you're just following up on the legal requirements you've created based on the initial decision that you've made. Now, I also had a post on Instagram, which I think was mostly mostly liked. I talked about how I didn't understand why I've had several people tell me, well, my CPA said this, my accountant said this, my bookkeeper said that. Because ultimately, the question we're asking here is whether someone legally can be a contractor. So legally, is it legal? Who should I talk to about whether things are legal? Probably not a CPA, right? Like legal, law, lawyer. We've seen the connections I'm making here. Generally speaking, other professionals shouldn't tell you what's legal and not legal. If that's what they're telling you, then they are potentially doing unauthorized practice of law which is not great now i do have some caveats to this um, and i want to share them because also i've recently seen some other attorneys kind of put themselves up on, on a pedestal as like i'm the only one who can do this and no one else can do this and if other people are doing this shame on them and they should be embarrassed for themselves no we're not doing that okay sometimes there are actually some legal areas where other professionals are even better equipped to assist right so technically speaking like technically speaking can i deduct this like i'm holding a pen right now in the video if you're watching can i deduct this pen as a business expense in some ways that's a legal question because our tax deductions are written into law and we have case law that determines whether you can dedu- deduct something but by and large i should say tax attorneys should be most familiar with those laws because we actually do legal research when we need to But by and large, a CPA is going to be much better handle, be able, much better equipped to handle that question than your run of the mill attorney would be, right? Similarly, when it comes to these kind of contractor employee issues, an HR expert is going to be a lot more familiar with them than your run of the mill attorney, right? Because an attorney is a blanket term. Attorneys could be experts in a a whole bunch of different things most of them are not experts in these kind of employment issues. Now, employment lawyers are the exception. They're like the tax lawyers. Tax lawyers have tax expertise. Employment lawyers have employment expertise. Most non-employment lawyers do not have expertise in this area. Um, I would say that I'm a little bit of an exception to that because I do not consider myself an employment attorney, but I have started to really brush up on this area of the law because it's extremely important to my specific audience. Um, But I only really have sought the knowledge that I need to help the types of people that I help. So if you came to me asking about, you know, like a construction company or some other fields I'm not used to working in, probably not going to be able to help much in the way of determining whether someone should be a contractor or an employee. But the gist is that you know CPAs can probably answer questions about, about what you can deduct, which is kind of a legal question. HR people can probably oftentimes best help you with whether you can hire someone as an employee or a contractor. And then I could probably come up with a lot of other examples about this, but I'm not going to because I did not outline them. And I don't want you to have to listen uh, to the wheel spin in my head till the end of time. So that's kind of, kind of my rant about that. Now... I will say that technically, um, I do think that that accounting professionals can represent people at the EDD. Um, that that was a comment that I had on one of my Instagram posts. But my thought process on that is, I, I've also helped people who've been audited with the EDD. So that's our state uh, employment. Uh, what is it? I'm blanking right now. It doesn't matter. It's the agency at our state that handles payroll taxes and uh, employee and contractor misclassification. I had another client who got audited because their reasonable salary was too low. So if you have an S Corp, you you should know that you have to pay yourself a reasonable minimum salary. If you've learned anything from me, you should know that as well. The lower your salary is, the more you save in taxes, but your salary can't be too low. So I had another, another person who got audited for that salary being too low. Now they were working with their CPA in that audit, and the CPA was helping justify and argue why they set their salary where they did. That is something perfectly reasonable for a CPA to do because CPAs, again, know the rules around a reasonable salary much better than your average attorney. That's something that a tax lawyer could do, a CPA could probably do also. When it comes to these misclassification issues, um, I unfortunately haven't met many accounting professionals who are really familiar with these laws. They're not thinking about them through the same lens as... An attorney, really, to be honest. So I don't mean to throw the profession under the bus when I say that you should not be asking your CPA and your accountants whether someone can be a contractor or an employee, but I've yet to really bump into one who's like properly advising on this specific area. That's just my perspective. So with that said, with that ran out of the way, I wanted to segue into talking about this uh, audit and the results. So if you missed it, it was episode 275. So one, two, three episodes ago, the title was Photographer Audited by the EDD. And on that episode, I talked about some of the arguments that we were making to the EDD about why this photographer second shooters should be allowed to be considered contractors rather than employees, but we did not yet have a result. Well, the good news is now we do have a result The EDD actually changed their initial determination based on our arguments and said that the second shooters could be contractors and therefore all the penalties for misclassification went away, which was fantastic Uh, for the client. Everyone kind of wins, but it did not really give me the clarity that I was hoping to provide to all of you. So I'm going to, in order for you to understand what that means, I'm going to go through The specific arguments that were made. Now, if you're not already familiar, this is all based on the California AB5 law. So that stands for Assembly Bill 5. We will link our AB5 blog post uh, in the show notes and the description. So you can check that out. I go through all these um, kind of requirements in detail. And I've also mentioned several times that AB5 uses what's called the ABC test. And about 30 other states use the ABC test, and uh, Democrats have also proposed that this be passed on a federal level. So if you're in a state that does not use similar laws, I still think it's to your benefit to understand this, A, because it could come at a federal level, B, because there's more than 50% chance that your state already uses similar rules, and C, because if you ever hire a contractor in a state that uses the ABC test, well, then you still have to know this, right? Right. Now, not all the other states have all the exceptions that California has. So you might think, oh, well, that's generous that California has all these exceptions. It's not really, to be honest, because they, A, I'm using lots of A, Bs and Cs today. I don't mean to do that to be confusing. So I'll say, one, that's not like all great news because they are enforcing the law so strictly with so little wiggle room that these exceptions aren't all the way helping into our governor, like, gave millions and millions of dollars to the state agency to enforce this law. So, while we have more exceptions, we are the state of California is actually uh, much more serious about enforcement of the laws than other states are, which is why it's a specific issue here. But you all still should know it. All right. So, don't totally tune away now. All right. So, the EDD in this case. Um, they looked at three different exceptions and we proposed three different exceptions. Those were the single day event exception, the business to business exception and the professional services exception. Now the single day event exception and the B2B exception, both of those have a requirement that the hiring entity cannot exercise uh, control and direction over the person that they're hiring. Now I need to actually read you some quotes. So I'm gonna go to my own blog post. Um, Just so I can make sure I should have had this pulled up beforehand, but you know, that's just part of the part of the business here you're getting live on the show. So the requirement is the business service provider. So that would be the contractor, the person you want to be the contractor is free from the control and direction of the contracting business entity in connection with the performance of the work, both under the contract for the performance of the work. And in fact. So the EDD in the case of the photographer said that the photographer had too much control and direction because the photographer was telling the second shooter where to stand and what lens to use. And they gave a few other examples. And we said, no, we don't really agree because it's more of a collaboration. And the uh, main photographer is not telling the second photographer what to do. It's just that, you know, you need one close shot and one wide shot. So if I say I'm going wide, fill in the blank, like what should you do, right? Which is how I would then advise you to actually talk to your contractors. So you need to tell your contractors ahead of time, like, I can't tell you what to do, right? But I'm expecting that you as a working professional are going to know that like, if I'm doing this, like you should do that. If that's feasible, fantastic. If that's not feasible, well, then you probably can't can't meet this requirement. So the EDD said that this photographer did not meet that requirement. They were not willing to budge on it. So that made them automatically fail two out of the three exceptions. Now, the one that was most surprising for me was the event professional exception, because in my opinion, it was basically created for this exact purpose, right? For weddings, for single day engagement events. And if it's not working in the second shooter context, like why the fuck do we even have it? It's mind boggling to me. So said they didn't meet that requirement. Now there was one other requirement um, that they said they didn't meet for these as well. Oh, it was, that was the only one for the single day engagement. For B2B, they also failed the requirement. And this one is truly baffling as well. And B2B has 11 requirements. So they met nine out of the 11. The photographer met nine out of the 11. But because they failed the other two, it was like, nope. Can't use the exception. So, requirement number two, and this is the other one that the EDD said the photographer failed. This requirement states the business service provider is providing services directly to the contracting business rather than to the customers of the contracting business. This subparagraph does not apply if the business service provider's employees are solely performing the services under the contract under the name of the business service provider and the business service provider regularly contracts with other businesses. Now, they really just focused on this first sentence that the the second shooter is providing services directly to the contracting business rather than to the customers. So that's the requirement. They were arguing that the second shooter was providing services directly to the customers because they were photographing the customers. That's what they were really hung up on, right? Your lens is pointing at the customers. You're taking photos of them. You're providing services to them. And our counterpoint was like, well, yeah, but not really, because the photographer hired the other photographer. They're giving the photos to the other photographer. This other photographer doesn't have any contact with the clients. They didn't really agree on that one, right? But if we had appealed that, I think we would have had, I think we would have had good arguments. And to be clear, whenever I say we would have good arguments, it just means that I think, in my opinion, I think they should agree with our arguments. Like the judge should agree with our arguments. That does not mean that they would, right? It's kind of like, think about any argument that you have with a friend or a family member, political arguments, whatever. You can think you're right, like 100%. Like there's no way I'm wrong about this, but it doesn't mean that the other person's going to agree with you. And in this case, the other person would be the judge, right? So think about it like that. Whenever I say we have strong arguments, doesn't necessarily mean that we win. All right. So those were the reasons why those two out of the three exceptions, they said no. Now, it all came down to the third exception, which is called the professional service providers exception. And for this one, you have to be specifically referenced as a professional service provider to it for it to apply. And there is a specific carve out in the law for photo and video professionals, um, in which case you have to have a written contract or, you know, there's lots of other stuff in here. And then additionally, there's six extra requirements for professional service providers. So the ones that they initially said the photographer did not pass were, um, let's see, requirement number four and requirement number six. So let me read them. Requirement number four says outside of the project completion dates and reasonable business hours, The individual has the ability to set the individual's own hours. So they said, this was kind of wild to me as well. They said, well, no, you told them to be at the wedding at this time and to leave at this time. So they did not have the ability to set their own hours. And my counter argument to that was very obviously, well, it says outside of project completion dates. Well, what's the project completion date? The project completion date is the wedding day, right? You're hiring someone for an event, the event of the project completion day, outside of the project completion day, they have the ability to set their own hours. So if I needed them, you know, to fill out some forms or edit photos or do anything like that, like if they were going to edit the photos, then I don't really give a shit when they do that, right? We'd give them a deadline, right? You, we need it within three weeks, but they can do it day, night, whenever. I don't care if they edit at 2 a.m. It's not any of my business. It's not like we have a storefront they need to be in at a particular time. But we do have a project completion date. And this requirement says that's fine. So we made that argument. They agreed that our argument was correct. So check. Great. Requirement number six under professional services says the individual customarily and regularly exercises discretion and independent judgment in the performance of the services. So you're going to start to see why nuance is so important when we're talking about legal things and also why everyone hates lawyers. People don't like us because we focus on the tiniest little details and then we want to argue about them. But that's what we are trained to do. And that's the way our brain is molded in law school. And this is why. So I'm going to read this again. And then I'm going to go back to that control and direction requirement. So this one says the individual customarily and regularly exercises discretion and independent judgment in the performance of the services now contrast that with the other requirement that was in the other two exceptions which said that the service provider is free from the control and direction of the contracting business entity so which one do you think is going to be easier to meet right it's this it's this this the first one They regularly exercise discretion because customarily and regularly doesn't mean always. I could argue that customarily could mean like most of the time. That's the custom. That's the norm. That's like the majority thing. Regularly could mean, you know, like one out of 10 times could be regularly if you have like 10 things per day. You know what I mean? Because then you're regularly, you're exercising discretion like once per day, right? That's just an example. Whereas... Free from the control and direction. That's a very that's a very strict term. If someone wants to interpret it that way, right? So that deter. That's based on how you how you define control and direction. Because does you know suggesting someone do something control th- them? Direct could be like, oh, I think you should go do that. Is that direction? Because if you interpret that as direction, then like no one's ever free from control and direction. You see where I'm going with this, right? One is more strict, one is more broad. So we argued that the second shooter did customarily and regularly exercise the discretion because ultimately I can say like, go over there, but they're going to decide exactly where to stand. Like, let me use some camera terms like aperture. That's a thing, right? Like what to set the aperture at, which other buttons to push on the camera. I don't even know. There's so many, all the slider thingies, little knobs, the buttons, you get the picture. Um, They get to exercise the discretion, Uh, as far as those details go. That's the argument we made. So they agreed with us on that as well, and they ended up letting them um, apply the professional service provider exception. Now, what does this mean? We're going to get to some other examples with with some other professionals, but I also met with a videographer who's dealing with a similar circumstance. Unfortunately, though, and, and I don't think we have results for them back yet, but Most of these requirements, most of these exceptions have a requirement that whomever you're hiring um, has a business license or is properly licensed in the jurisdiction where they work. And these folks didn't think that most of their contractors had that. So they're going to be SOL on the vast majority of these exceptions. So this is why I always say, or I've been saying since AB5 passed, or really since all these exceptions passed and what is the law, 20, 2257, I think, or 2557, 2257, one of those. Uh, once this once this amendment to AB5 passed, I started sharing with everyone that whenever you hire a contractor um, who, especially if they if they fail the ABC test and you're trying to apply an exception, then you should always request a copy of their business license. Make sure it's up to date a copy of their insurance, or at least get verification that they have insurance. And you need to have a written contract for every scope of work or event that they work. That's very important. Business license, insurance, contract. All right. Now, before we get into some other examples, I want to remind you what's not an issue or what's not a problem, because we often lose sight of this and all of this rigmarole of exceptions and all this different kind of stuff. What's not an issue are folks who pass the ABC test. So remember, A is control and direction. B is that they provide services that are outside the usual course of your business. And C is that they have an established business doing the thing that you hired them for. So if you hired, if any of you hire me, like in the law firm as your lawyer, well, A, you don't have control and direction because you're not you're not telling me what to do, right? You're hiring me. I'm telling you what you're doing. I'm dictating everything. You're signing my contract, right? You do not have control and direction over me, okay? Let's make that clear. Hopefully you can sense the kind of joking tone in my voice there. Don't mean to be that serious. Um, B, I'm doing things that are outside the usual course of your business. Most of you, if I don't think any of you listening, well, maybe some of you are lawyers, right? But those of you that are lawyers are probably not hiring me to do legal work for you. Most of you are creatives of some sort. You're not lawyers, you don't provide legal work to your clients, it's not a problem. And C, I have my own established business. It's a law firm. Same thing if you join one of my programs. Now, if you are photographer, floral designer, you are a business coach and you hire someone to design your website. You hire someone to do your brand photos. You hire someone to do PR pitching for you. You get the picture. These are all examples of things that are not within the usual course of your business. So they pass the ABC test. We don't have to worry about this. We're largely talking about circumstances where you're hiring someone who does essentially the same thing that you do. It's an integral part of your business. I also would argue now that most operations roles um, fail the ABC test because If you hire someone just to follow up on failed payments or manage your email inbox, those are all within the usual course of your business, right? But especially if you're providing hiring someone to provide the same types of services that you provide to subcontract work, those all fail the ABC test. And then we need to look at these exceptions. So I, I hope that helps clarify some things. Now let's run through some of these sticking points with other contractors. So I talk about day of assistance for wedding planners, Second shooters, associate photographers, hair and makeup artists, floral assistants, specifically day of assistance for planners, hair and makeup artists, floral assistants. Let's start with those three. These are just some random examples I pulled uh, that I think will be topical to, to some of those, some of you that are listening. So, none of those folks, planners, hair and makeup artists, floral assistants, none of those have exceptions under their professional service exception requirement. Now, there is An exception for beauty professionals, um, services provided by a licensed esthetician, electrolysis, manicurist, barber, or cosmetologist provided that um, they set their own rates, they set their own hours, they have their own book of business, they maintain their own business license, the individual performing the services at the location Uh, then issues a 1099 to the salon or business owner. So this one's interesting because I originally thought this was just for booth renters, but it sounds like that could be for hair and makeup artists as well. Don't quote me on that. We would need to read that a little bit more specifically. But our wedding professionals, our wedding planners, excuse me, don't have anything under professional services. Um, It also does mention, it does mention freelance writers, graphic designers, content contributors, which, you know, could be a whole bunch of things. um, And that's pretty much it as far as the folks that would be relevant in this podcast is based on who I think is listening to this podcast. So floral assistants, wedding planners, probably not going to be able to utilize professional services. Now, let's look at the single day event exception for these folks, just for, for these two folks in particular. Well, we have requirement number one neither individual is subject to the control and direction of the other. Well, I would say that's gonna be really hard to me, right? Because the whole if you have an assistant, regardless of the field, you're probably telling them what to do and how to do it. And you're, you know, giving them a tutorial and a demo. You're telling them, you know, if you have a floral assistant, you're telling them like, put this there, put that there, help me put this thing up. They're probably not going to be able to pass that, right? There's a whole bunch of other requirements as well. Um, But let's go back to the business license, right? This is going to be tough if you're hiring an assistant who doesn't have their own business. Well, it's going to be impossible, I should say, because requirement number seven is that they're customarily engaged in the same or similar type of work. So you cannot hire as a blanket rule. If someone fails the ABC test, you can't hire, you know, just like a friend or like a niece or a cousin or a parent who just wants to help you, but who doesn't do this as their own business, like they're likely not going to pass anything that goes for for just about everybody, right? Okay, B2B exception, we can look at that one. And this has the same control and direction requirement it also has the same business license requirement. It has the same um, customarily engaged in an independently established business, which makes sense, because this is the business to business requirement. So you're probably not going to pass that one either. So I what I've been sharing is I really don't think it's possible for wedding planners in California and floral folks to have assistance as contractors anymore. Like I think they have to be employees. Now, if I get more information on this, if we have any successful audits with other clients, I'll let you know. It can be posted. Second shooters, we talked about a lot with our example, but I actually do think. I do think second shooters would be able to pass the single day engagement exception and the B2B exception in other contexts. Um, The client that I worked with, she'd been denied based on the information that EDD had gathered interviewing uh, her second shooters and based on what the second shooters told her. Now, I do think, again, we would have had strong arguments if we got audited. We might have been able to overturn their decision, but it's not black and white. So I can't tell you that for sure they meet those exceptions. But as I showed, they did meet the professional services exception. But let's talk about associate photographers. So what would it look like for associate photographers? Let's go back to professional services exception. That's the one that our photographer actually got approved for. Um, and think about it in the context of associate photographers. So outside of project completion dates, they have the ability to set their own hours. I think that would be the same, right? Um, they have to have a business license, the ability to set or negotiate their own rates. Great. They maintain their own business location, customarily engaged in the same type of work. Um they regularly exercise discretion and independent judgment. I think, you know, you probably meet all of those. Um, yeah, this is interesting because as, as I look at this again, I do think an associate photographer would meet all of these unless, well, unless I think they could argue that because you're giving them the clients, right? You're saying, hey, this is your client and you have to work with them. That could be, control and direction, but we don't have that requirement, again, under professional services, just customarily and regularly exercises discretion. So you're going to hear me thinking out loud, right? You're hearing me verbally process this information. I could outline this more specifically, but I think actually listening to the thought process for you, it might be helpful for you. So that's the way I would analyze this. I would say, you know, maybe associates are fine, but I've always said, I've always said that I think second shooters probably can be contractors and associate photographers probably should be employees. And that was more based on instinct because to me, it just makes sense if they're working, if they're working uh, under your name and you're not there, well, they look more like an employee. And actually now that I'm saying this, it's because of that requirement under the B2B exception this was where I got this. This is why I started saying this. The requirement that they're providing services directly to you, the business owner, and not the client. My thought process was a second shooter we could argue is providing services to you, the business owner, not the client. Because they're really just there to assist you and they're, re- they're answering to you. Whereas an associate is working directly with your client. Like they, You might be emailing the client, but the associate photographer definitely is probably going to meet with your client. They're going to be talking to your client they're going to be the ones communicating with your client on the wedding day so they would 100 percent fail that requirement i don't think you could even get around that um in uh like if you had to appeal it but what's interesting is that requirement's not in the professional services uh six requirements so you might be able to pass that but i still think i still think it would be wise to hire them as employees now the purpose of this podcast is not to tell you the benefit of hiring employees, uh, why you should hire employees other than, you know, you you don't want to get audited. But I do think I should touch on that a little bit because I think a lot of you probably listen to these episodes and you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, like, I don't I don't want to hire people. It sounds like such a pain. Brayden's Braden, telling me I'm going to get sued if I don't do it. And we think of it as something terrible that we have to do. But actually, it's not really, it's not that scary. It's not that hard. It's a little, it's like forming an LLC. It's like everything else. There's some paperwork, there's some expense to it. But once you actually hire people, there are a lot of benefits, right? You have someone that's more loyal to your team. Um, You can give control and direction a lot more. So you can tell people like when they need to work and what they need to do. That doesn't mean that you're being bossy or anything like that. It just means like, oh, Like if I message you, I'm going to expect a response within a certain period of time. It's tougher to do that with contractors. So there's a lot of benefits. And coming up in the next, uh, the upcoming months, I think I want to talk about that more, kind of the benefits of hiring. So you all can start to think about it as more of an opportunity and less of an obligation. More of an opportunity, less of an obligation, right? So then we can think about, oh, well, there's these people over here that 100% have to be employees. And there's these people over here that can be my contractors because, you know, maybe it's my, like, for example, I have a YouTube editor. We have projects for her every few months. Clear contractor, not a problem. And then I have these people in the middle and I'm thinking, you know, it's a little bit of a gray area. I've read through Braden's blog posts, listened to the podcast. I do think it's a gray area, but I actually think it'd be beneficial for me to have them as employees because it's going to be better for my business. That's where I hope you all can get your mindsets as you start to wrap your brain around this topic. So I think I've already been talking for about 15 minutes longer than I thought I was going to. And that was after I didn't even know what I was going to talk about today. So hopefully you all enjoyed it. If you like the podcast, make sure you're subscribed so you get notifications every week. Um, also, share with friends. I would be immensely grateful um, if you would share it far and wide uh, and let folks know about these important laws that they may not be aware of and uh, share it on your Instagram stories. Give me a tag. Tell me what you're doing. I would appreciate that. So thank you for tuning in. And I will be back in your podcast app next week for another episode. Mm-hmm.